And you know what, Alex, even if you're on your own in your business, you're a solopreneur, you can still do that. Yeah. All you just need to do is have the discipline of blocking a bit of time in your diary, maybe once a month where you might even just sort of take yourself out of your normal environment and just spend a bit of time on your own with your thoughts, getting it down on paper and just kind of giving yourself a bit more of that innovation headspace which you don't often have when you're in the weeds sometimes running your business mm. um, you do want to try and create an environment where you can have thinking time and not always doing time welcome to screw it just do it the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners entrepreneurs and those aspiring to be so the aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to this week's episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my very special guest this week, Jeanette Linford. Jeanette is a corporate CEO turned entrepreneur with a multi-million business portfolio. She essentially helps business owners and senior executives take their business and career to the next level. She's got a great backstory, worked for some really big companies like MD at TUI, uh, CEO at Saga. She's also the host of Brave, Bold and Brilliant, an amazing podcast, which amongst others, you can listen to myself and Rob Moore feature as guests. So she's got a great backstory. We met on Clubhouse, of course, he recorded this online during one of the pandemics, and we've since met up in person at the Bournemouth Rugby Sevens. Uh, we share a love of all things audio, podcast, clubhouse, of rugby, of travel, and of all things entrepreneurial. So we talk about a whole bunch of different things uh, during our chat. We focus around leadership, uh, around resilience, around decision-making as well, uh, around customers, around technology and innovation. So lots of interesting topics here for those of you who are entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs and, you know, really listen to Jeanette's knowledge on this subject. She's great fun uh, as well. And I know you're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, screw it, just do it. Jeanette Linford. Jeanette, before we get going, would you like, uh, I, I know who you are and what you do, and we've got a shared background as podcast hosts and also in the travel industry. Um, would you like just to share a little bit about your background um, and what you're up to right now? Yeah, sure. I will do, Alex. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here, everyone. Uh, so, yeah, so you can probably tell from my dulcet tones, I am a northerner. 
So I was uh, brought up in Manchester, the youngest of three daughters. And yeah, very happy family life, but from a very working class family. I was the only one to go to university, etc. And I spent most of my corporate life in the uh, travel industry. So I started from the bottom, if you like, on a graduate scheme, right the way to becoming the CEO of the travel division for Saga. So I had 1,700 people on my team, 400 million of turnover of, uh, of um, business. And I was also the MD of the emerging markets for TUI. So I bought, ran, sold businesses internationally in Russia, China, India, all over the place. But I jumped out three years ago and essentially became an entrepreneur. So for many people listening, that will be the, an interesting um, perspective about how do you leave a job, maybe, to actually go out and become your own boss. So where I am today, Alex, is I have um, a portfolio of businesses, multi-million pound property investment business. I do a lot of advisory work on mergers and acquisitions, helping businesses scale and grow. I'm also a mentor. So I work one-to-one -one with people and also um, have a new mastermind program that maybe we'll talk about later. And I'm the host of the podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, which is all about how you can reach your true potential in life. So yeah, that is me in a nutshell, Alex. Quick canter through. <laughs> Brilliant. Appreciate it. And um, yeah, I can see a little bit of that behind you next to the bookcase, the Brave, Bold and Brilliant <laughs> podcast, which uh, which I've been on myself as well. So, um, yeah, excited to have you here. And, uh, you know, again, my background, a little bit about that, where we kind of cross over, I think, with regards to, you know, responding quickly to conditions in changing or emerging markets is no better example than uh, the travel industry, the airline industry. And I spent 16 and a half years at Virgin Atlantic. And, you know, I, I remember all through those years how often um, things were determined by the price of a barrel of oil. And that would literally change super, super quickly. And you had to be ready to act on the changes and you can you can hedge some of that of course but equally um you've got to have the right type of people on board your organization to be able to make those decisions and, and act quickly rather than well quite as often the case not make any decision at all which is probably the worst thing you can do 100 <laughs> percent, yeah <laughs> um and look given given what we've been through um globally in the, in the last 15 months um uh, you know a pandemic for example um what other scenarios do, do you see when people have to respond quickly to, to market conditions? I mean, most people's experience will just be this. But, you know, I can cast my mind back to the last financial crisis. I can even cast it back to the one before that when I came out of university. Um, and other people might point to things like the Gulf War, for example. But um, given your experience, what kind of conditions do you know, examples throw up in your mind when it comes to having to um, respond quickly. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Alex. The travel industry is absolutely, you know, the perfect example of being prone to every single macroeconomic, global, you know, shock possible. It's, it's a very complex business. And also the profit margins are very thin as well. So, yeah. it, it, you know, that also puts more pressure. So I think for me, the key thing is when... Um, 
when things don't always go right and you need to be able to respond quickly, you know, whether it's a, a global pandemic like we've had to deal with now or whether it's ash cloud or whether it's, you know, evacuating from a hurricane or, you know, any of those sort of major events like that um, or an economic crash. I think for me, the first thing is you have to be able to just really calmly take stock of the situation um so and and then really when you have a great team who are experts in their field in their various areas for me it's around pulling the team together taking stock where we are what are our options and making sure that then you are effectively delegating and getting the right people taking the right actions at the time. Mm. So you can never do it on your own, I would say, but you do have to have a sense of calm because otherwise you create panic around the whole team, around the whole business. And you just have to look at the facts. And then what the other thing I would say as a leader, it's so important that you make a decision because yeah. you might always get it right um, and you might not have every single piece of information that you would like. But being a leader, whether you're in a big business or a small business, is all about making decisions with the information you have at the time, even if that's imperfect information. And mm. once you've made that decision, then it's all about really empowering the team um, you know, to kind of get on with it. And then I would say in a, in a scenario um, like this, communication is key. Yeah. So I remember after 9-11, I was heading up the long haul division for Thompson way back when. And we had aircraft all over the world. Mm. You know, we had passengers stuck. We had all sorts of stuff. So, you know, in a travel world, we had the duty office and that becomes the nerve center um, where every, all the decisions are made. The communication is slick. The, the um, updates come back in. So I think you've got to have resilience as a leader. You have to yeah. have a sense of calm have the right people around you, make a decision and really have a clear action um, action plan that you work to and you measure against. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like when you look back o over the um, over the last 15 months and clearly you can see how um, some countries, shall we say, made decisive decisions right there, even though they might not have been armed with that much information because information was limited. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. Nobody forecast this. Um, again, the same thing happened when it came to the vaccination program, whereas other countries clearly didn't make any decision, just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for the perfect moment. And of course, as, as, as we know, there is never a perfect moment to, to make a decision. You just have to make a decision. Yeah, the last thing you want to be doing is is um, making a, a an already stressful scenario worse by mm. not being clear with your communication and and sort of um, procrastinating, Alex. As well, yeah, I'd agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly. Do you think a company, again, based on your experience, should have some sort of set of protocols uh, or some kind of prepared response for? I don't know, a situation or a series of situations. And I guess the bigger the organization goes uh, and, and the more resources they have, in theory, <laughs> they should have, you know, more plans for different scenarios. I mean, we had Brexit was another one I didn't even mention that just popped into my head there. You know, the changes in tariffs, access to markets, rising costs, all those sorts of things. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you'd have, um, I mean, certainly the businesses that I've run, which have had, you know, extensive operations globally and with big teams, we would have protocols for all different types of scenarios documented. Yeah. So, that, and, and also what we would do is we would do dry runs um, so that we were testing the processes, the procedures and looking for those, you know, things that would would maybe there were some areas of improvement. So I would, for example, when I was at Saga, I had four businesses in, in my portfolio and we used to actually have sort of um, disaster planning sessions. So I would we would create a li- almost like a live event, replicate it. So a bomb's gone off in, you know, right. in and then the emergency response team kicks in. So for the team, they feel it's like a very real situation and they know how to respond, but it allows you to then, you know, pick out any areas of improvement and then we do a whole review afterwards. So we would test those, those protocols and procedures at least once a quarter um, with different scenarios so that the team won't get more confident dealing with it, but also, you know, make sure that we've, we've not missed anything or that the world might have changed, you know, because social media is, is such a big thing in today's mm. world, whereas 10 years ago that wasn't a, a consideration. What should your social media response be in the event of a certain situation was never a factor, whereas it's critical now. So, uh, yeah, yeah that, that's how I've always run those businesses, Alex, because also you're de- very often you're dealing with people's lives. Mm. You know, so it might be death, there might be a bomb. I mean, any manner of things that, that you know, disaster response that I've had to deal with. Um, so you, you can't ever forget and lose sight of the customer. And I guess if you're in a smaller business, you're not going to have necessarily all of that in place, but you will have hopefully almost like a, 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 a more a more streamlined version, something that's right for your business. Um, you know, so it's not just about big business. It's, it also applies to smaller businesses, depending which area you're, you're in. Well, often now, isn't it like the, the first response is often via, you, you mentioned social media, I hadn't mentioned that before, but often the first response is like, a tweet, for example, I mean, you've seen yeah. what Donald Donald Trump, as as former, I like saying that former president of the uh, of the United States of America, used to um, literally introduce everything via, via via a tweet, and you see other companies be that in the in the music industry or the sports industry announcing things. Literally, their first response is via social media, whichever platform that might be, and that platform probably ultimately depends on where they're. Uh, the biggest market share of their audience is, is hanging out and, and um, uh, accesses them, I should say. Yeah, yeah, because that's the way that you're communicating to, you know, your customers, the press, uh, your, your suppliers, you know, it's the whole chain very often. And so what we would always have in, in my previous life of running those very big businesses, we would have different categories of events mm-hmm. that therefore dictated who was going to be um, appropriately speaking to the press, for example. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if there was a, a situation which involved X number of fatalities, for example, well, then it would maybe it'd be me that would be on the camera if it was at a certain level above that, it would yeah. be the group CEO. So all of this is all documented, all kind of there. Because I think it's like anything, though, in life that 
if you, you, you if you can, can you can control the controllables, but you can't control everything. But if you apply an 80-20 rule so that you've got systems, processes and things that run really smoothly on the day-to-day business, then when something does come along unexpected that you have to deal with, you're much better equipped to do that. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have that in place, it, it's incredibly stressful. People can literally die as a result of it. Let's not let's not forget. Uh, mm. And also, it just means that the team then just work really smoothly together. So it's a yeah, it becomes a very important, well-oiled machine. To be honest, Alex. <laughs> yeah, ours, ours at Virgin was um, don't put Richard in front of the camera until um, you've got all of the all of the facts available because <laughs> you don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> but no, I, I, I mean, I, I can remember back to that time as well like and I remember 9-11 because I was in the middle of an interview for a management position when literally all the alarms went off in the building and we had again uh airplane in the sky we had people actually in the twin trades towers at the time when the when the when the planes hit the building so I mean you can't plan for that scenario but you you can obviously plan for a series of scenarios um and how about kind of bringing it back to something that a lot of uh, maybe small business owners um, can can uh, put processes and systems in place for. How about something like um, there's a, a technical break, breakthrough, there's innovation. Um, at the same time, that's going to result in a response and how quickly you can uh, change to the, to the condition in that market that your business happens to be in, for example. What would you, what would you suggest people can, can put in place with that? Because it's obviously very different from you know, one scale on you know, big businesses and we're, we're talking about global catastrophes, but kind of filtering it through to hopefully in the more you know, day-to-day um, trends that we see happening within our markets. What about something that you see something ch- changing super quickly um, and there's some kind of technical breakthrough, how would you go about, or an innovation, how would you go about, um, you know, not, not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket, but having to respond to that? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the first scenario we were talking about really is about managing downside risk yeah. and, and yeah. about dealing with a, an event, which is a negative event that has to be done to protect, you know, the customer, but also the financial position and the reputation of the business, right? So that, that's one set of circumstances. But you're right, actually, the, the, it's more around the upside risk, the opportunity risk of not taking advantage of yes. changing things in, in the world of tech or whatever. So I think, you know, as a, as a small business, it's really about keeping yourself informed and well connected, you know, through through like things like this, logging into to seminars and, and just sort of really having your finger on the pulse. Uh, Clubhouse is a great way to hear around what's happening in social media. So I think you you have to always be learning something i think every day both as an individual but also as a business so that keeps your sort of radar up if you like your antennae up and then once you start to see a certain trend or something that maybe you think oh yeah this could be great for my business i would then very much apply a test and learn approach because i think sometimes you can see an opportunity and you 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 want to create the perfect plan and the perfect kind of actions and strategy and all of this stuff. But very often, it's just a case of getting a minimal viable product out there, testing it, 
tweaking it as you go um, and then that allows you to be very agile it's the same with any tech development you know actually I, I've introduced a lot of um, tech platform changes over the over my years mm-hmm. and we would always work in in an agile way with sprints so rather than the old way of doing things where you'd put a whole new infrastructure in you'd have it all mapped out end to end it might take you three years to put the damn thing into the business mm-hmm. by the time you deliver it it's out of date because the yeah. world's moved on so yeah. i think an agile approach to tech development as well having a minimal viable product um is is the best way because also you might find it it's a passing phase or it's not right for your business and if you've invested too much money into something well then you you know you can often burn through cash so i think test and learn alex i would would always recommend especially for a smaller business yeah and i I was going to mention funnily enough we've just come off um hosting a room on clubhouse for example that's new technical innovation that's a new social media platform you know who's to say in 10 years time that isn't the biggest social media channel in the world or who knows it's the next myspace which at the time everybody thought was you know the next shiny big thing wasn't it that was their first experience of of social media so um and i've seen that you know being in the the audio space myself you know put it, putting it through to you know how do you respond to to something changing a technical breakthrough an innovation you know, my initial response is how much do I actually need another social media platform in my life? But then it was actually, if I don't understand what this is, will I be left behind as uh, as a podcast agency owner if all of my competitors take advantage of this technology and are the first to market with it, first to, first to embrace it, mm. for example? Um, so do you, do you think um, – somebody's greatest competitive advantage in fact is lies in their ability to to respond and how they respond you know more the fact that they do respond rather than necessarily how they respond yeah yeah i think so but you you have to place your bets don't you because you you can't do everything so it's really important to prioritize and focus as well so yes on the one hand you don't want to miss out on you know innovation and things that are happening in the tech game but you also have to say is this right for my business and for the for my target customer because you know you might you can easily get distracted i think and we can sometimes as entrepreneurs you know we follow the shiny penny so it's trying to get the right balance so i think it's one keep yourself informed almost then you could once a month i think it's a great thing to do and something that i advise my clients that i work with you know you almost have a bit of a a brain dump what's going on in the market what what my competitors doing what new innovation is there and you sort of take a look at all of that and say okay which ones of these could be really interesting or relevant mm. for my business and you might pick you know two maybe three but n- not too much because otherwise you find that you're, you're one you you can actually end up missing what's going on in your core business and neglect that um but also you can end up spending a lot of time and effort on something that maybe isn't quite appropriate for your business so i think you have to make a judgment call again not with the complete information but say actually yeah okay i think clubhouse could be cool so i'm going to give it a defined period of time and i'm going to allocate x amount of my time effort and resources to it to see how it goes and if that then becomes the big thing brilliant you can scale up from there so I, I think it's a great thing, which uh, my mentor, Rob Moore, always reminds me of, actually apply a 70-20-10 rule. 
So, you know, 70% may be your core business, which is where you make your money and where you focus most of your time. 20% is sort of almost your secondary strategy. Maybe it's a new market or a new product you're introducing or a new customer you're appealing to. And 10% might be the sort of innovative stuff that you're just trying and, and seeing where it might go. And I yeah. think that's a really good tool to be able to apply to any business, actually, mm. because otherwise you can get very distracted and end up achieving nothing. Yeah, no, I like that. 70-20-10 role. That's yeah. a good one. That is a good, and I also like the idea, and I think it's probably easily, relatively easily implementable for, for everybody who's who's watching and listening to this to actually do that brainstorming exercise, whether that's, you know, uh, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever that might be, that um, everybody in the team brings something to the table and has a discussion about it. And um, yeah, I think that's something that everybody will be able to do, no matter what the size of their organization. Yeah. Yeah, and you, yeah. And you know what, Alex, even if you're on your own in your business, you're a solopreneur, you can still do that. Yeah. All you just need to do is have the discipline of blocking a bit of time in your diary, maybe once a month where you might even just sort of take yourself out of your normal environment and just spend a bit of time on your own with your thoughts, getting it down on paper and just kind of giving yourself a bit more of that innovation headspace which you don't often have when you're in the weeds sometimes running your business mm. um, you do want to try and create an environment where you can have thinking time and not always doing time yeah no I, and I think I can I can relate to that personally and that I would always block that time out to do that and then of course when you get busy or busier one of the first things that goes is that but if you'd actually block that out like you say in your diary you know you know it's going to happen and you're going to keep up to date rather than then reading about it on social media through one of your competitors announcing it as a bit of a thought leadership piece on, on linkedin or something like that yeah totally <laughs> totally um do you think your your customers should be the driving force behind any changes to your business Oh, it's a good question. Um, it depends, is, <laughs> is my answer. Now, I will always, always say you have to be really close to your customers. Uh, and it doesn't matter how big your business is. If you make assumptions about your clients or your customers um, that are not current, you can end up going down the wrong track. So I think it's great to be able to test things with your customers, to get feedback, you know, to actually be using them to help shape a proposition. Maybe you launch, I don't know, a new product or something. You give them maybe a discounted rate so that they can actually help you shape it up. So I think using your existing customers to help inform what you're putting together is a really smart thing to do. Mm. However, there are certain situations where maybe your customer only knows what they know. You know, and I think a great example of this is Apple. So, you know, if Steve Jobs had actually asked people, would they yeah. want an iPad or an iPhone, they would never have come up with what the his his vision was. Yeah. So, so there are examples where you if you're being very innovative, that maybe it's you, you sort of have to run with something, run with your gut instinct a little bit and yeah. shape something up and then and then start trialing it. So I think it, I think both are relevant, actually, Alex. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's not a definitive answer. 
but your customers, your customers are really a key, aren't they? You know, and and they become your brand champions. I mean, I would always also say be really clear on how your customer base is segmented. So I always look at almost like a pyramid, if you like. So you might have people who are at the, the, the bottom of the pyramid that are maybe, you know, high volume, but they're buying a, a lower value product from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will, you you know, you will approach those in a slightly different way than someone who is, you know, spending significant, significant hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds with you, who are your most high value customers, so it's really important to segment your customer database and then apply the relevant or an appropriate marketing strategy and also an appropriate product and service strategy. And be, being customer centric is not about trying to be able to serve everyone in the same way. It's about yeah. conscious choice. So, again, it's a slight, a slightly, and it wasn't the question, Alex, but um, I think it's really useful to be able to do that. Know who your highest value customers are. Um, mm. and, and how you're actually taking people with you through the journey so that they move up and become those high value customers over time yeah it's a good point and I, and I wish i could remember the figures but i always remember it um, when i was at virgin atlantic and we're going back over a decade now but when they actually you know one of those um team meetings that that, that we would have with, with the management and they they broke down you know the percentage of the revenue for the business and where that came to with regards to upper class premium economy economy and then cargo and the figures was just you know crazy and that how much it was obviously slanted to to somebody paying four or five grand for an upper class seat compared to someone paying a couple of hundred pounds you know four five six seven hundred pounds which is still a lot of money yeah but 300 of those people buying that as you'll you'll probably know the statistics better than me having been in that industry as well but it was just crazy i remember crazy yeah yeah absolutely and it's not to say that those those you know lower ticket type customers aren't important they are absolutely but you you know you're going to have a different approach aren't you to someone yeah. that's um that's maybe booked 10 20 30 times with you um yeah. so yeah absolutely and uh, yeah i like the example you gave with apple because i was i was thinking of the one with um with ford as well with regards to bringing out the model t ford like you would have brought out a faster horse rather than yeah. bringing the car up it actually asked the customers what they wanted so i think uh, i think apple's always a, always a great example to to use in that regard as well um and so having talked about customers what about employees then how key are your employees and particularly um hiring the right kind of employees and and maybe also the environment you you create for those employees that maybe encourages creativity, thinking on your feet. So if you do end up with, you know, changing market conditions, um, you've got the right kind of people around you who can respond in kind to that rather than the kind of people who will either bury their head in the sand or get frozen in the headlights. Well, it's critical. It it really is. You know, it it doesn't matter what game you're in, what business you're in, people, your people are are everything, right? Um, And businesses always say, don't they? Oh, what's your what's your what's your most important asset? My people. And then when you ask them how much they invest in their people, often there's a disproportionately low amount of budget allocated to, to developing people and supporting them with their careers and, and, and what have you. So I think it's an inter- interesting element. I mean, I always use the analogy and I always have over the years is you want to get the right people on the bus in the first place. You want them sitting in the right seats and you want everyone 
facing in the same direction. So that's just a really simple way of looking at it. But yeah, mm. attracting talent into your organization is, is so, so important. But then, of course, it's around career progression, how they have stretch in a role, how you reward them, how you motivate them. You know, the whole piece is so, so it, it critical. It really is. And, and you're right about the culture piece because fit, I find, is often the thing that trips people up. Because culture, it's quite hard to define. It's a bit ethereal, you know, and, uh, mm. and actually, but it's often, you can hire for technical skills and there are certain roles where absolutely, you you know, you need, if, you, if you're having a, if you're having heart surgery, you want someone that's technically capable of, of doing the operation, right? Um, but still, actually, attitude, drive, motivation is also important. So what are the behaviours and the values that actually you want to see demonstrated in your team? So I think when you're hiring people, it's as important to be able to find the right fit, of style and motivation and aspirations for growth, et cetera, as it is the technical skills. Mm. So for me, I think you, you have to be able to, to test both. And don't forget, also, I think through the recruitment process, they're also choosing you. So yeah. it, it is yeah. very much a, a two-way street. And, you know, you often hear that, you know, that, that people will join brands, but they will leave their boss or their, you know, who they respond, who they report into because of maybe a clash of style or personality. So it's absolutely critical. I mean, I love always, uh, you know, creating high performing teams and, and having, giving people the, the empowerment to do their job, recruit smart people, recruit people who are smarter than yourself, yeah. delegate effectively and get out of their way and let them do their jobs. Don't micromanage. And that is sometimes very difficult, especially if you're in a smaller business that maybe you've only you've started yourself and you're having you're taking on your first employee and it's a quite a big deal mm. and you're quite emotionally connected. Uh, but you do have to let people get on and do their jobs <laughs> effectively. You do. You do indeed. Um, and that's something I saw, you know, firsthand. At Virgin with uh, Richard Branson, he would always hire, you know, somebody who was already doing what he wanted them to do, but doing it successfully for a competitor um, and then, you know, bring him over to our organization and, did, you know, always have the, the skill set that he didn't have. So it's something that um, that I always you know, noted with whatever company he was he was starting. Um, and also, look. I think expect change. Yeah, change changes change is normal, isn't it? The one the one constant is change. So, you know, if market conditions don't change, you should probably be worried, shouldn't you? Because it's literally just around the corner. Yeah, hundred percent. And and it is sometimes it's quite hard to. Some people fear change. You know, they they struggle with it. In particular, yeah. if you're in an organisation that's maybe been ran in a certain way for quite a long time. You know, yeah. that was the case when I joined Saga. It was it had been a family business set up in the 50s by the Dehan family. The culture was very strong and it had lots of positives, but it was very traditional. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons that that I joined and why I was brought in was to to really try and to to kind of bring a new perspective and a more maybe a more modern way shall we say of, of doing certain things and when you're in that scenario you will often you'll get lots of people that maybe 
they flourish. You know, they, they could have been sort of lost in that organisation, never spotted before, but you give them the right environment and they shine, you know, they do really well. And equally, you sometimes come across people that, you know, just this next phase is just not for them. Yeah. And that's okay. So, you know, it's it's fine to part company, actually, and say, you know, that's probably better on both sides that you move on and do something else. And, and you know, the organization can do the same. So treating people in the right way in those in those situations is really key as well. But yeah, change is the one constant, right? I mean, it's we're all changing. You're either growing or dying, right? So <laughs> Yeah. And maybe it's um you know, also, I mean, coming back to, you know, talking about the staff there, but being able to see opportunity within that change, because if you're, if you're, if your eyes are shut and your ears are shut, <laughs> you're not going to see the opportunities that, that exist. But as we know, you know, just going back a little over a, a decade, you know, the likes of an, an Airbnb or, or whomever, you know, those, those, those or, or an Uber, were born out of the last recession. Uh, a closer example would be um, Grenade, Alan Barrett, who's, who's, mm-hmm. who's a friend of mine, you know, literally started it nine, 10 years ago and just sold now to Cadbury's for, for, for 200 million. But back then they started the business with 27 pounds out of a recession with everybody, you know, saying, why, why would you start a business in a recession? So, and I think we've seen, at least in the UK, I don't know the wider stats, but more people than in any other year start businesses last year. So people have seen the opportunities that exist within these rapidly changing market conditions that we've seen over the last year. How many, you know, probably the most popular word that's been coined has been pivot, isn't it? You know, if that's not adapting or responding quickly to market conditions, I don't know what is. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think it's around creating the environment, isn't it, where people um, feel more comfortable with change. And let's face it, a lot of people, they just, they, you know, the human nature is what's in it for me. Yeah. So yeah. if you can demonstrate the opportunities that, that come up for people in a business to either maybe, you know, grow and develop or progress their career or move into a different part of the business that maybe they've always wanted to and never had the chance, you know, and you can reward people for for actually making those changes, then that's when you get the most out of people so that they don't feel threatened by it. They do actually see it as, wow, this is great because this is at my chance to shine. And I think if you can always bring it down to the individual and how it can benefit them, you've got much better chance of getting buy-in and and making those changes happen. I think it's so important. You might have a really big vision for your business, but each and every, every single person needs to know how they contribute to that, mm. you know, how they're, they're valued. Uh, you know, what was it, the uh, the NASA Space Center, when someone asked the cleaner, "You, what are you doing? He said, I'm helping put a man on the moon, you know, and, and I think that, <laughs> I love that. yeah, that, that, that sort of story is, is, is a great, great way to summarize it, you know, and if, if every single person, whether you're the cleaner or the CEO, you're all you're all important. Everyone plays a part. And, and I think that's the thing with change and innovation you can get people excited about it and, and feel that there's an environment for them to put ideas out there that are seriously considered. Well, then how cool is that? Because the best ideas are often sitting with the front facing teams, the ones that are in, you know, in a customer facing role. 
Mm. You know, so I, I always say you look at um, like an organ, a typical organization structure. It's like a pyramid, isn't it? With, you know, the boss at the top and all the, you know, the people down below that are actually dealing with the customers. What I used to do when I was running big teams was I used to reverse the pyramid and say, actually, no, these guys are the ones that are most important. Um, not not me at the top. It's these. It's the people that are dealing with the customer day in day out, and that's often where you've got the best ideas. So if you can encourage that and have an environment for that to flourish, I think that's a really cool thing to do. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Really good point uh, to to finish up on. I think uh, today, to be honest with you, um, you know, change change is the one constant, isn't it? Um, and we've never seen anything change so quickly in our lives and it has been in the last uh, 15 months but hopefully no matter where you are uh, in the world um, things are changing for the better with your business um, wh- whatever stage you're at you know hopefully over the next three days um, you're going to find something that's going to be able to to help you um, when it comes to um, scaling your business um, next up Literally in 10 minutes, we've got Piers Linney, um, former BBC uh, Dragon. And that probably leads on quite nicely, to be honest with you. We, we touched on it earlier, Jeanette, but go-to-market strategy for scale-up. So um, I know we touched on it a little bit beforehand. So um, I think that will be a good one. Um, for people who want to find out a little bit more about who you are and what you do, um, what's the easiest way they can do that? They can obviously check out uh, the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. And they can um, find you on, what's the easiest way would you say, LinkedIn for you probably? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook. Um, I've got a website, uh, JeanetteLinfootAssociates.com as well. I'm on Instagram, Clubhouse. So I'm pretty much all over the place. It's hard to avoid the gobby northern Mancunian, I'm afraid, people. (laughs) But I would love to connect with all of you. And yeah, if any of you are interested in, you know, I do one-to-one mentoring as well um, and I've got a new mastermind coming out. So if anyone's interested in any of that and really want to kind of take your business to the next level or your career to the next level, um, what I try to do is bring together the best of both worlds of big business, but with entrepreneurial startup um, sort of mindset as well. So it's a more practical application. So yeah, that's me. Awesome. So I had the pleasure of meeting up with Jeanette in person after recording this during uh, one of our many lockdowns here in the UK. And it's an absolute pleasure. We've collaborated on Clubhouse where we met on on many rooms. We share a love of uh, things such as travel, entrepreneurship, podcasting, rugby, uh, you name it. So it's great to uh, to meet up with her in person. Um we talk about a whole bunch of different things here, really, lots and lots of different things. Um, you know, I love the fact of what she says around indecision killing a business. Like for me, you've just got to make a decision in business and in life. He who hesitates is lost. So make a decision, own that decision, even if it's the wrong decision. 99% of the time, it's usually better than making no decision at all. As a leader, You've got to have a clear plan of action and make a clear decision and inform everybody around you uh, about that. So also around being resilient. I love this topic and I love when I chatted to Coach G, who I know Jeanette's 
either interviewed or about to interview as well, uh, former Rugby World Cup winner who I've interviewed on here, um, about as a leader having to be resilient, about having a sense of being cool, calm and collected and not being able to bring panic to the whole team. And look, she was at EasyJet. I was at uh, Virgin Atlantic and I can totally uh, relate to this when I was in charge of, of a whole cabin full of passengers up to, I don't know, three to 400 people and a crew of up to 20 something people as well. And over the years, I had literally anything and everything happened to me from engine fires outside of the plane to oven fires inside the plane, uh, passengers having air rage, uh, breaking the nose of one of my crew members and having to physically restrain that passenger who was you know, high on drugs and alcohol at the time as well, um, having numerous medical emergencies. In fact, I think I had everything that could possibly ever happen to me on board an aircraft apart from somebody dying. So touch wood on that front, not that I would go back to that job, but it stood me in good stead for the trials and tribulations of what running a business has been like. So, um, you know, really interested in those different things that Jeanette talked about. You know, we cover technology and innovation as well and about, you know, customers as well. But for me, I really enjoyed, you know, tucking into that subject around resilience and about indecision as well. So um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed speaking to Jeanette. Um, do make sure you check out her podcast as well. Um which we've got all the links to in the articles for this about being brave, bold, and brilliant. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this, with zero experience, zero knowledge, and zero tech skills, come and join me at Ultimate Podcast Mastery. Dot com, where I've just launched for a limited number of people, a brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my ultimate podcast mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook, my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts the Podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people so once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community 
and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org, I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.